Judges chapter 2 and verse 10. Judges chapter 2 and verse 10. Here we have a, um, a statement given concerning the people of Israel and a new generation. And it says in Judges 2.10... When all that gen generation had been gathered to their fathers, Judges 2.10, another generation arose after them, now watch this phrase, who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. A whole generation didn't really understand what God had done for the people of Israel, and they really didn't know the Lord. Now, this is an amazing statement which compares to what's happening in our country today because we have Generation Z, and it's the first generation in the United States, don't miss this now, that has been raised in a post-Christian context. You see, we who are, let's say, over 25, we who are older, there was a lot that was uh, done in our country. There was acknowledgement of the Lord. But the opposition to spiritual things and the failure of people to worship God and to, uh, to uh, have an understanding, a basic understanding of Scripture, that is where multitudes of people are in our country today. Multitudes of people do not worship the Lord regularly and really have a very, very limited understanding of what the Word of God says. Now, that's not meant to be condemnatory. It's meant to say we need to continue to get out the message of the Word of God to those who do not know that there's a God who loves them and sent His Son, as Bob prayed, the Lord Jesus, to give His life to pay for our sins that we can have a relationship with God. And you've heard this many times before. We as believers, um, we're not involved in a religion as such. We are those who have a relationship with the Lord. We walk with Him. We talk with Him. We read His Word. We allow Him to speak to us and to minister to us. But you see in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, there's a statement made that there was a generation who did not know the Lord. And there are multitudes of people that you could probably speak to out in your neighborhood, at your workplace, out in society today, who do not know the Lord like you do. And they need to hear a good word that God loves them and sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to give his life for them. In light of the fact that our uh, society today has been moving away from the word of God and away from spiritual things... There are a lot of issues that are at the forefront in our land today. We are starting a brief series entitled um, Contemporary Issues in Light of the Word of God. And we will be looking at different issues. We actually, the first one, tackled that difficult subject of the transgender issue. Does the Bible say something about that? Yes, it does, as we saw two weeks ago. Last week we had an excellent message on the relationship of the believer to government. Is there tremendous opposition to authority in government today? 
Absolutely. That chapter was very helpful for us to consider last week. Today, however, we're going to consider one more issue, and it's a difficult one. And uh, it's, it's the issue of homosexuality and same-sex marriage in the light of what the Word of God says. Now, let me say right at the beginning, we do not hate homosexuals. We are not in a war against homosexuals. Those who are involved in that lifestyle need the Lord in their lives, do they not? And amen? They need the Lord. And our attitude in all the study that I've done this week has been on the fact that we as believers, we who do believe the Word of God says certain things, are looked at as those who, and are often called bigoted, and those who hate homosexuals. Repeat, we do not, as those who know the Lord as Savior, we do not hate homosexuals. Uh, We are not bigoted against them. We do, however, believe that the Word of God has some clear teaching uh, to enable us to understand what it is and why God has a better way, which he called in Genesis chapter 1, good. It's good for a man and a woman to have a relationship and a union that's given by God himself. I hope I've been real clear on that. You know, the interesting thing is when it comes to uh, counterfeit money, I don't know about you, but I go to different places once in a while, and I carry a lot of money. I'm just kidding. I want to see your reaction. I carry cash, and I don't use my card. And um, I'll take a like a new 20, or once in a while I'll have a 50, you know. Don't see me after the service. I'll have a 50. And, and they'll go like this, you know, they'll hold it up to the light to make sure it's not a counterfeit. Well, the interesting thing is, when it comes to marriage, we want to go to the Word of God and see what God says about the real thing so that we can understand something that may be a counterfeit. Uh, let's, let's begin by talking about the subject of marriage itself. If you would turn to Genesis chapter 2. I want you to just look at the text of Scripture, Genesis chapter 2, where the first marriage took place, where God brought the man and the woman together. Genesis chapter 2, we always want to look into the Word of God. Verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him, 2.18 of Genesis, a helper suitable to him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam had called every living creature, that was its name. Adam had great intelligence. So Adam gave names to all cattle, beasts of the air, uh, birds of the air, and beasts of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam... And he slept. By the way, that's one of the reasons we have when someone has surgery, they're put to sleep. It's a pain uh, lightning situation. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. 
And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So here we have the account that tells us of the establishing of the marriage relationship, which began when God formed Eve out of the rib taken out of the side of Adam. The first uh, union uh, and marriage created by God was monogamous and heterosexual. And that's the standard, as Jesus said in Matthew 19, that he wanted to go down through the ages, through all of time, God's standard for all of society. Therefore shall a man, and that's masculine, leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, that's feminine, and they shall become one flesh. Another word, uh, another way to say it is for the man and the woman, their close relationship to their parents is exchanged for a close relationship to the spouse. Now, I've put together in times past, and I've seen others, uh, a definition of marriage. And this comes right out of the Word of God. I'm going to state it, and then we'll have this in our minds. Marriage is a covenant of companionship. In other words, the word covenant is a stronger word than just the word promise. The man and the woman promise before God to be man and wife, husband and wife. Marriage is a covenant of companionship. They promise before God to be companions for life. It's made by a man and a woman to live together as husband and wife as long as they both shall live. Matthew 19, Jesus stated the very same thing that I just stated. Now, we all understand, and we're not, not going into this side of the subject, that divorces take place, and they're painful. And they hurt people. And uh, there's always those who say, I didn't want this to happen. But it happens. God knows this. He's a forgiving God. He's a restoring God. And we always need to remember this. Remember in John chapter 8, Jesus said to the woman, caught in adultery, by the way, where are your accusers? Has anyone condemned you? And what did Jesus say? Neither do I condemn you. So we have to be real careful. And we're not going to embark on the subject of divorce. God in the book of Matthew says he hates it, but he doesn't hate people who are divorced. Please keep that in mind. It's very painful. And it's amazing how God can restore someone who's gone through a painful situation and bring them into a new start and a new life before him. And there's an amen that should come as a result of that. That's what the Lord does. He's a forgiving God. He's a restoring God. And we never, ever should forget that. Now, again, understanding, pardon me, the awesome uh, uniqueness and nature of marriage uh, causes us to uh, keep in mind that in our culture, there are many who do not understand that very passage which we read. They don't understand that the marriage that we still have in our society today is taken from The first marriage that God performed bringing the woman to the man. There are those who are most affected by the unbiblical teachings of our culture, and that is our teens and our children. 
They need to hear and they need to understand that God is the one who created the marriage relationship. And in that marriage relationship, he desires that a woman marry a man or a man marries a woman. That's what the marriage is made of. A a basic goal of parenting is that we need to teach our children to live their lives with a moment-by-moment consciousness of God and that they learn to think in terms of what has God said in his word. Now I'm going to repeat that. The basics in teaching our children and our teens is that they need to understand that they're walking daily in the presence of the God of the universe who loves them very much and that he has spoken and what he has spoken is in the word of God, the Bible. And it's interesting that we know that as teens seek to find their place in this world and they struggle with the sense of um, self-esteem, parents can help their teens with regards to their worth by teaching them that the Lord loves them and when they trust Christ, they're brought in union with Jesus Christ. And their worth or their approval does not come from the kids at school. Their peer, the peer approval. It doesn't come from how they feel about themselves. Now you say, well, I understand that. But that is difficult. We've talked to parents in the past several years of parents who have teens who are going through some real struggles. And it's difficult for them to communicate to them that their worth is based on their relationship with Jesus Christ and not how their friends feel and not on the basis of how they feel, feelings. In fact, they need to understand, especially as Christian children and teens, who they are in Christ. And we do too as adults. Who is a person, or who is, all right, let's back it up. Who is a teen who's saved, who are they in Christ? If they understand that, it's amazing that they won't be leaning over to saying, well, if uh, two men want to get married, they should be able to get married. If two women want to get married, they should be. That's not marriage. God has defined marriage in his word. Who, I'm, who, uh, who I am in Christ? Uh, when someone accepts Christ as Savior, you're a child of God, John 1.12. You're a friend of Christ, John 15, 15. If you've never done this study before, who I am in Christ, you really need to do it so that you get encouraged in your walk with the Lord. You are set apart unto the Lord. You're chosen by Him. You're brought into the family of God. By the way, did you see that in the devotional this morning? One of the blessings that we have in life is the fact that we're in the family of God. If you haven't read your daily bread yet, read it while you're eating bread. Who I am in Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm a friend of Christ. I've been declared righteous in Christ, Romans 5.1. I've been united to Christ. I've been bought with a price. You know, when we understand that, listen, you're valuable to God, believer. And our teens and our children need to understand that they're different. They're not the same as all the other kids around. 
They've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. They, they've been washed clean. They're children of God. And the Father in heaven is watching after them. And they need to learn to be encouraged to walk before God. Very important. I've been bought with a price. I'm part of the body of Christ. I need to worship with other believers. Sometimes even adult believers kind of step aside and say, well, you know, there's problems here and there's problems. No, God wants us to meet together like we are this morning in the family of God. We're in the family of God and we belong to the Lord. And the Lord loves you just as much as a parent loves his or her own child. I'm going to stay with this for a minute before we deal with just some of the basics on homosexuality. There are those who say, and there's been an agreement on this, there are five major characteristics that our sons and our daughters need to develop. This is in the uh, teaching of Andreas uh, Kostenberg in his book on God, marriage, and the family. And he says there's five basics that we need to teach our children. Now, supposing I said to you this morning, would you write down the five? <laughs> would you write down the five basics? These are really good. I, I, I'm telling you, there's an agreement on this uh, with students of the Scriptures. The first one is, and you would probably put this down too, that our teens and our childrens need to be encouraged to have a heart that loves the Lord. In other words, what I'm saying is, we don't want our teens just to know the facts of the Bible. We want them to love the Lord. And, and I'm going to ask you this. How do you get your children, can you force them to love the Lord? No. How do we get our children to love the Lord? Uh, in our teaching in Sunday school and uh, in, the, in a service like this, how do we get them to know that number one, that they're not just to know where to find things in the Bible, they're to love the Lord. Well, the Lord told us that himself. In the Ten Commandments. He said, you shall have no other gods before me. In fact, the Lord said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and you shall teach these things to your children. I'm going to say something here. I wish I had have done more of that when we were raising our boys. Encourage them to love God more. And actually, Deuteronomy 6 says it happens not when you tell them you have to love God. You have to love Him more than you do. That's not how it works. It works when we say, Boy, I really love the Lord for what He has done for me. When you can say in the presence of your children and your teenagers, and even in the presence of others, the Lord has done so many wonderful things for me, and I love the Lord. That will be used by the Holy Spirit in their lives. Secondly, and I'm going to go brief on this, a, a submissive attitude towards those in authority. Parents, teachers, government leaders, and you and I know that there's a lack of that out in society today. But our, our children and our teens and our grandchildren need to be encouraged to be, have a submissive attitude towards those who are in authority. Thirdly, a proper separation from the ways of the world. 
You say, where in the world are you going to get that? I'm going to get it from 1 John 2.15 where the Lord speaks through the Apostle John and says, love not the world and the things that are in the world. I was reading a text just the other day and it was a text on counseling. And the counselor told the counselee, maybe you need to pray, Lord, I've been loving things more than you. Lord, maybe I've been loving other people more than you. And I thought, wow, I don't think I've seen that recently in counseling situations. We need to encourage our teens and children to have a proper separation from the things of the world and live in the company of wise. Now, we've handled this in youth group. You can ask your youth leaders. Proverbs 13, 20, important verse for children. He who walks with wise men will be wise. But the companion of fools will be destroyed or suffer harm. Proverbs 13.20, Proverbs 12.26. The righteous should choose his friends carefully. So we encourage our children, choose friends carefully. Pray over those you want to spend time with. Pray about it. And then the last verse I want to give you in this context is Romans 16.19, where the Lord says through the Apostle Paul, I want you to be wise in what is good, but I want you to be simple in what is evil. In other words, we encourage our children and our youth not to necessarily look at all the things that are out in the world that people are doing apart from God. That reference is very clear, Romans 16.19. And uh, you can rightfully say to your children, you know, there's certain movies I really don't want you to see. There's certain things that come on TV, you turn it off. We had a family in our church fellowship it was in a movie theater right in this community about 20 years ago. And all the children were there with the mom and dad. Stuff came on the screen. And he said, at the count of three, we're going out. Bring your popcorn. And they left. And I, I thanked you. I said, you know, thank you for telling me that. <laughs> thank you. Uh, the fourth one, quickly. Uh, we are to learn to think biblically. They are to learn to think biblically, constantly asking the question, what does the Bible say about whatever? And fifthly, they are to ve- develop biblical self-awareness. They are to realize that they belong to the Lord and God has blessed them and gifted them and there's a, a, there's a calling in their lives. Our daughters and our granddaughters, and our sons, and our grandsons. God has put them here for a very, very specific purpose, and we encourage them in knowing that. Now let's get on over to the uh, subject at hand, and we'll talk about the fact that out in society today, there is that which is called homosexuality and same-sex marriage, and the ones who are most vulnerable, vulnerable to being encouraged to approve of it or our children and our teens. A homosexual is a person who chooses to engage in sexual activity with another person of the same sex. A lesbian is a female homosexual. Someone who's gay is a male homosexual, and they prefer that politically correct term. Here's what we're going to do as we pull this now together. Remember we said, who are the most vulnerable to not agree with what the Word of God says. Our children and our teens. We need to help them. 
We need to tell them, we do not hate these people. We're just saying they're going after something that God says they shouldn't go after. Now, that's easily said, and sometimes it's hard to communicate. But children will come home from school and will say things like, well, my teacher said. So then we, in turn, not in a derogatory way, not in a condemnatory way, say, look, we love these folks, but they're not following the pattern that God has given us for the benefit of society and mankind. And ultimately, they're not following that which pleases God. I'm going to use the question and answer form. We're just going to take the basic ones. These are called the top five. Number one, the question is asked, is homosexual behavior sin? Your child's going to ask you. The answer, yes. Key verses, Leviticus 18.22 and 20.13. And I'm going to read it in in our setting here today. You shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. Now again, when you look at Scripture, there's a lot of things that are stated in Scripture that do not need interpretation. That's what the text says. It's an abomination before God. All right? And people will say, well, that's the Old Testament teaching. What about the New Testament? Key passage in the New Testament, which you could show your teens and children, is Romans chapter 1, and I would like you to look at it. If we don't look at Scripture, then we're not getting what we really need to understand. Romans 1, 26 and 27. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And we will keep moving along as, as we look at these Answers. The question is, is homosexual behavior sin? Is it wrong before God? Now, let me say this. I've read this week about someone who went to a believer and said, well, I guess I'm going to hell because I'm a homosexual. Oh, no. No. A person doesn't go to hell because they're homosexual. A person will go to hell, which is a real place, because of failure to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There are all kinds of sins that people commit. Now that sin is one that shows that there's not an understanding of what God wants in the Word of God. But homosexuality in and of itself doesn't send somebody to hell. A failure to receive forgiveness of sins from Jesus Christ is what sends someone to hell. All right, Romans 1, 26 and 7, uh, real carefully together, if you'll watch with me. 25, for exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. By the way, here's the problem where individuals will worship even people and the things of the world rather than the creator. All right, verse 26, for this reason God gave them up the vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use of that which is against nature. You notice it's saying in the Word of God, and your children can understand it. This is against nature. This doesn't happen in the animal kingdom. People have chosen to do this. Likewise, the men, verse 27, leaving the natural use of a woman, burned in their lust for one another. Here it is. Men with men. Committing what is shameful. 
receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. Now this is a tough passage, but it's a clear passage. Men with men is shameful. And in fact, it goes on and says, receiving in themselves the penalty of the error. There, there's, there's results of men continually having relationships with men. And some of them, they want to have multiple relationships. And there are consequences. And the consequences are sexually transmitted diseases. AIDS, 60% come from homosexual behavior. 60%. Do you see that? Statistic out in society? Well, of course not. It's a shame. Second one, real quick, is homosexual temptation a sin? Notice the word temptation. I must handle this with you. No temptation is a sin. Okay? Jesus was tempted, yet he didn't sin. In fact, it says in Hebrews 4.15... He was in all points tempted like we are, and yet without sin. So temptation, homosexual temptation, is not sin. It's when someone yields to that and becomes involved with another man or with another woman, then that is when it becomes sin. Okay? Temptation in itself is not sin. By the way, that passage, our children need to hear this passage. They need to know how to find it. Hebrews chapter uh, 4, verse 15 says that Christ was tempted and yet without sin. And then he tells us what to do when we're tempted. Woo, boy, do we need that. Now maybe it's me, I need that. What do I need to do when I'm tempted? Come boldly to the throne of grace and there find grace to help in time of need. So you and I, when we're tempted to sin, and by the way, we're all tempted. Don't think, well, you know, I've been saved for 60 years and I'm not really going to be tempted. We are going to be tempted. We come boldly to the throne of grace where we find grace to help in time of need. So we say, Lord, you know, hey, I'm really tempted in this area. Please help me. And the Lord, in turn, sends down his grace and wisdom into your life. So, question, is homosexual temptation a sin? The answer is no. Temptation in itself is not a sin. In fact, many who are tempted in this area have given testimony to the fact that, yes, they have been tempted, but no, they have never been involved in a homosexual relationship. Next one, quickly. Is a person born a homosexual? You probably already know the answer to this. The answer is no. Homosexuality is a behavior. It's not an identity. There is no scientific study that has been supported to, with the uh, supposition of a homosexual gene or a homosexual brain function. Most recent Answers in Genesis magazine has a complete article on the fact that people are not born homosexual. Another one very quickly. Can a true Christian continue to live in a homosexual lifestyle? Now here, we're, remember I told you I'd give you the top five of the questions that are asked? Can a true Christian continue to live in a homosexual lifestyle? Think about it for a minute. Somebody who's truly born again. I'm talking about a professing Christian. I'm talking about a true 
born-again Christian? This is among the top five questions that are asked. <clears throat> All right, let's, let's reason it through. Those who ask Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior, repenting of their sins and saying, Lord, I, I want you to be my personal Savior, they are born again. You know the verse, Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be? Let's do it again. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be? Okay, so if a person falls into homosexuality while a Christian, you have your answer, right? If they're truly saved, I'm talking about now. Now, keep this in mind as well. Christians can fall into sin, and we know that. There is a passage, however, that gives a real strong caution. And you ought to know this passage. It's 1 John 3, 9. 1 John 3, 9. This speaks to the subject as well. 1 John 3, 9. Now, again, we are not saying that someone who's truly saved could not be tempted in that area and fall. I didn't say that. But I am saying that there are verses in the Word of God which people who try to answer this question say, wait a minute. If someone is truly saved, hang on with me now, maybe they'll deal with homosexuality. I have heard now a number of years ago and down at Dallas Seminary, they have had conferences on homosexuality. I've heard the testimony of people who came out of a homosexual lifestyle and had a marriage relationship, forgiveness of the Lord, and the whole family was on the platform, giving testimony of the grace of God. But watch now 1 John 3, 9, which says, Whoever has been born of God does not, now here, watch your translation here, continually sin. For his God's seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, that's a present tense verb. And it says, whosoever is born of God does not continually practice sin. There it is. You handle the verse with me. Handle the verse. What does it say? I think those who come to true faith in Christ, if you sit down and encourage them with regards to God's good for their lives. Remember the Lord made the man and the woman and all that he made, it says in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, was very good. If you say, you know, the good in your life is going to be when you deal with what you've been um, through and involved in and have the forgiveness of God. I think most are going to say, you know, I believe that the word of God is true. The Holy Spirit implants in the life of a believer God's life, which John calls it here a seed. Now I'm going to read it again. 1 John 3, 9. Whoever has been born of God does not continually practice sin. For his seed, some translations literally have, his life remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Meaning he cannot continually be involved in a sin which is a Grievous before God. Now let me add one more thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul talks about communion. 
And when we come to the communion table, we're supposed to confess our sins and then partake of communion. Because when you eat the bread and drink the cup, you're testifying to the fact that I'm in fellowship with God. I'm in fellowship with Jesus. He's my Lord and my Savior. I love communion. Communion's good. But before we come to the communion table, the Apostle Paul says, now you need to examine yourself and be willing to confess sin before you eat the bread and drink the cup. And he says when there are people who don't do that, don't miss this now, you look it up in 1 Corinthians 11, there are many who are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. In other words, they die. The term fall asleep is only used of a Christian in the New Testament. It's never used of an unsaved person who dies. When a non-Christian, someone who doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe, it just says he died. But when it, you're talking about a Christian, it says they fall asleep, and the implication is they fall asleep in Jesus. They fall asleep here, and where do they wake up? In heaven, in the Lord. So this is a tough area. It's one of the top questions that's always asked, and uh, we tried to handle it this morning. And let me say this. Even while I was working through that passage, the First John passage, you and I know that as believers, we cannot tell in the ultimate sense who's saved and who's not. And I certainly don't want to be one who says, oh, that person, because of what they do, they're not. I can't do that. I have to be very, very careful to know that here's someone that's made in the image of God who God loves and yes, they need the teaching of the Word of God and they may really change when they're dealt with in the area of compassion. It's amazing what the Lord will do when someone wants to give up an addiction or a habit like seeking sexual relationships with people of the same sex. We sing a number of hymns in our fellowship here. This one is so awesome. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. But that next verse says, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. And we all sin, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But thank the Lord when you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, He forgave your sin. In fact, He forgives all your sin. And He cleanses you within. Another one quickly. Can a unbelief, unbiblical unbelief, I'm sorry, an unbiblical belief system be changed? Some people say, well, in fact, sometimes a person who's homosexual will say this to a non-homosexual. They'll say, I can't change. That's not true. I'll show you the passage and we'll close in prayer. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Watch this very carefully. You need to have a handle on this passage because you will hear someone say, I was born this way and I can't change. Not true. Not true. We have to go to the truth of the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Watch carefully. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? He's going to give a list of those who are not going to heaven. You say, is there a list in the Bible of people not going to heaven? Yes, there is. And when, it, when you look at the list, it's talking about people who are involved in this as a lifestyle and they don't repent of it. 
All right, watch it carefully. 1 Corinthians chapter nine, uh, 6, verse 9. Do not be deceived. Fornicators, those who continue in improper sexual relationships outside of marriage, fornicators will not go to heaven. Idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. Now, let me say this. Stay with me. Stay with me. After reading that, a young woman came up to me after the service, and she said, my father is an alcoholic. Does that passage say he's not going to heaven? How would you answer that? I get these questions. How would you answer that? My father is an alcoholic. What does it say clearly in the text? What does it say? Drunkards. Look at verse 11. Such were some of you. Past tense. I'll tell you the state it happened in. State of California. Pastor read the context. And he read all those verses. And he said, uh, how many of you used to be one of these things before you were saved? Hands went up all over the auditorium. You're not laughing. <laughs> His point was, they were saved. Some of them were alcoholics. Some of them were adulterers. Some of them were for. But doesn't the Lord forgive our sins? Answer? Yes. He forgives us of our sins. You see, such were some of you. So don't give up. Some of us who are here this morning, we have friends who have children and grandchildren who are involved in homosexual relationships. Do we stop praying? Because, well, we don't see any change. I've had people say, oh, you know, don't, don't pray for those people. They're not going to change. That's so unbiblical. Never give up on your praying. If you're praying for someone to come to faith in Christ, keep praying. If you're praying for someone in your extended family who's involved in same-sex relationships, keep praying for them. Show them the love of Christ. It's amazing what the Lord will do. And I close with this passage. And it's Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, the gospel, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. So those who are captive and in a sexual relationship that they feel they cannot get out of, you may be the only one who would say to them, you know, the Lord loves you very much and he will help you to break out of that relationship and have that which is good before the Father in heaven. You may be the only one who can encourage someone because you and I know that the Lord heals the brokenhearted and he proclaims freedom to those who are captive. Jesus said, whoever commits sin is the slave of sin, but Jesus is the one who breaks people free. Let's pray together.